welcome on my next guest. We have a very special guest. We've got former NFL MVP and the greatest quarterback in Cincinnati Bengals franchise history, Mr. Ken Anderson, with the coolest background I've ever seen on Zoom. Ken, how's everything going for you? I'm doing great, thank you. You know, just uh, doing some work around the house and uh, waiting for the grandkids to come down. That's awesome. That's awesome. So football's finally over for the year. I can't wait till it comes back. Um, Bengals had an up and down season. Um, obviously Burrow got hurt. What were your thoughts on the team when he was healthy? Well, you know, he's the real deal. You, you know, he's going to be an outstanding quarterback, you know, in the league. And this was a funny year for, you know, a lot of teams and, you know, I'm excited, uh, you know, for the direction the Bengals are going, you know, I think Zach Taylor is going to be a, a real good coach in this league. And, you know, I th think the Bengals have some weapons to work with. You know, I think they've just got to solidify the offensive line. But, you know, they had a lot of injuries up front, too. But, uh, you know, you got to be able to protect Joe Burrow. If you can do that, he can do great things. Where do you want to see them go um, offensive line with the six overall pick in the draft? Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, there's the tackle from Oregon that a lot of people, yeah. you know, think that they're going to get. And, you know, but here's a guy that opted out last year, I believe, and hasn't played a lot. But, you know, and they've got. You know, Jonah Williams, you know, the, the number one draft choice from a couple of years ago, missed his rookie season, was hurt some last year. So, I mean, there, there's a, a lot of moving parts in this. They, they've switched offensive line coaches, which uh, I think, may, you know, maybe a good deal for them. So, uh, you know, I'm encouraged. What, what about the defense? That's what I, I think it was a little bit of an – I love Jesse Bates, but, like, I know they moved on from Dunlap. Do you see that – do you think they should add some more pieces in free agency? Well, you know, we got to, they got to resign Carl Lawson, I would think. You know, he was kind of the only edge rusher that they had. And, uh, you know, when you don't win that many games, you know, you, you got to fill some some holes. And sometimes you can't get them all filled in one year. But, uh, you know, I think they're going in the right direction. And, you know, you don't go from, you know, four wins in a year to, to 12 years, <laughs> in, in 12 wins in, in a year. So, you know, we just got to see, you know, marked improvement next year. Would you take it slow with Burrow's recovery or as soon as he says, I'm good, would you let him get back out there? Well, I mean, I think you, you got to rely on what the doctors say. And, you know, it was uh, certainly, you know, when you, you tear your ACL and your MCL and, yeah. you know, it, it uh, if it was back in my era, it may have ended your career, but with certain techniques now, I, I think, you know, there, there have been several guys that have come back and played very effectively from that same injury. So, uh, you know, I, I'm encouraged. I think he'll, he'll come back and, you know, you, you don't want to rush it, but, you know, I, I know he's a guy that, that wants to play and, and, you know, when it, when it's ready, when the doctors tell you you're ready, then let's go. What were your thoughts on the season as a whole? Was there anything kind of jumped out to you outside of the COVID stuff with the pandemic, like any players you thought outperformed what your expectations or anything like that? Well, you know, I, I think when you get, uh, you know, a T Higgins that, that, that comes in and, and you get him, uh, you know, and I think he's an outstanding player. Uh, you know, really showed something. So I think, you know, like I said, I think the Bengals, you know, have some weapons that they can work with. You know, I, I like the combination of Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard, but, you know, then, then, then Mixon was hurt, you know, for part of the year, you know, AJ Green was hurt again, part of the year. So, you know, it's just kind of, you know, keeping guys healthy and, uh, you know, getting back in the flow of things. I'm keeping my eye on Drew Sample. I like that. I liked what I saw out of him. I think he's in a big yeah. uh, second year. Um, so I want to kind of get into your career a little bit. I saw, is it true you grew up with Dan Issel and Craig Sager? Uh, yeah, Dan was a year in front of me and, and our backyards uh, ran into each other. So we, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, playing all sports together, you know, growing up. I mean, you know, Dan 
you know, when you go to, go to a, uh, come from a small town, you know, everybody plays every sport. So, you know, Dan, you know, played baseball and, you know, he played football and until his senior year in high school, um, you know, we had a, you know, for a small school, we had a pretty doggone good basketball team. When, you know, when you have a six, nine NBA hall of famer, you may be pretty good. So, but no, uh, a great guy. And, you know, Craig Sager was a little bit younger than us, but, uh, again, he, you know, he played all sports, but, uh, you know, broadcasting was, uh, you know, right up his alley. Uh, you know, we had an, another guy, uh, was a first round draft choice of the New York Mets, uh, back, uh, I think in 66 or 67 Byron Bonhoff. And it was the, the, the year the Mets brought up all the, the, the young pitchers, you know, Seaver and Kuzman, all those guys. And, and Byron was one of those guys. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, he missed spring training. He was on active duty for the national guard and they tried to rush him through spring training to get him up with the big league club with all those other young guys. And he threw out his arm and, uh, and never made it. So we, we had a pretty good class of athletes uh, back in the mid '60s in Batavia, Illinois. Did I see that your, your your father worked for the school and used to use their training equipment? Well, my father was the custodian at the high school, and it, which was uh, the greatest job in the world because you know it's kind of in the winter and you know you shovel driveways and you know you go outside and, and you don't care what the weather you know you, you play. But, uh, you know, if the varsity had a game on Friday night and, and dad happened to have to go in and, and clean the gym the next day, he says, Kenny, you want to bring some of your boys down? And, and so we'd go down there and he'd open up the coach's office and we'd bring out the, the rack of ball, balls for the varsity and, and we'd have at it for a few hours in the gym. I, did, you, did you have any D1 scholarship offers? I saw, I didn't, couldn't find any. No. No, I, I could have gone to other schools, you know, the, the caliber of Augustana, you know, I was talking with Millican University in, in Decatur, Illinois, and, you know, a, a few of those, but I knew some people that went out to Augustana, and, and I actually went there to play basketball and baseball, and, uh, you know, I've, I think the, the letter, I've got it on my wall, is dated like June 23rd, when my high school coach said, you know, Kenny, you ought to try out for the football team, and so I wrote Coach Storenko a, a letter and said, could I try out? You know, I was, uh, you know, played quarterback, but I was an all-conference safety. And, uh, you know, at, at that time, they take warm bodies at Division Three. you know. And so, uh, you know, I went there, and uh, by the start of the year, I was the third-string quarterback. And by the second game, they put me in. And from then on, I was the starting quarterback on the varsity. And then I went to the basketball team, and I was a month late for practice. But by Christmas, I was a starting guard on the varsity. And then uh, the baseball coach called in the spring and said, hey, we're hitting down in the bus barns. And I was a little tired by that point. So I never did play baseball. And I, I thought that was my best sport. So when you're thinking like, all right, I'm playing collegiate football, like this is as good as it gets. Or did you like have higher aspirations than that? No, I was really excited about it. You know, my goal in life was to be a high school math teacher and football and basketball coach. And, uh, you know, my uncle was my idol and, you know, he was 12 when I was born, uh, you know, and he's, you know, so he's always been kind of my older brother and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And, and I remember when the Bengals drafted me and, and I had a, a job lined up at Nutra High School in Chicago with him <laughs> in the math department. And I, I said, Gary, I said, you know, if I take this, I, I lose this job. And he said, Kenny, he says, number one, he says, your starting salary is $5,000 and you're getting a $7,500 bonus. So you're good for a year. And he said, if you don't do it, you're always going to wonder. So it was kind of the, the best advice he ever gave me.
Did I did I see that you left school a year early and then went back? No, I I left. Uh, you know that was the uh, the era of, of the Vietnam War and the draft was just instituted uh, my senior year and so it was you know, in the fall and they had the, the, the draft lottery show and we had a bunch of guys together and, you know, all watching it. And, and I was the only guy under 300. They go by your birthdays. I was like 29. So I was going to get drafted, you know, out of college. And, and I knew I had, I was going to go to training camp with some pro teams and, and all the scouts had said it, there were, there was a lot of fuss about, you know, especially with baseball players, the pro teams were kind of getting those guys in the National Guard or the Army Reserve rather than other people. It wasn't fair. And so they said, get in on your own. And, and I had a high school buddy that got me in a National Guard unit in Joliet, Illinois. And so uh, I joined that uh, in the, the fall. Uh, so I was playing football and he would come and pick me up after a game and take me to a National Guard meeting and then drive me back to school. And then, uh, so I, 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 I dropped out of school after the, the fall quarter because I was supposed to go on active duty before the, the first of the year. Well, for some reason I didn't go. And so now I'm out of school and the, the draft was in January uh, in those days for the NFL. And uh, so it's the end of January and the Bengals drafted me and I, I moved right down there. And then when I transferred from a National Guard unit in one state to an Army Reserve unit in another state, it took a while for the paperwork. So I didn't go to my active duty until after my rookie year. So I, I spent that offseason in the Army. And then so after my, my second year in the league, that's when I went back up to Augustana and finished my final two quarters. I feel like contracts nowadays will probably have a clause like, hey, you can't be in the National Guard if you're starting quarterback in the National Football League. That's that's unbelievable. And so what, what was your draft process like? Did you did you work out for a bunch of teams? How did that work? Yeah, a lot of, you know, teams came by in, uh, you know, the spring and, and, and worked me out. And, and I remember it was after my sophomore year, our, our coach left, Coach Storenko, uh left Augustana in Rock Island and actually, you know, took a job at a Division three school, Augustana in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> And so I, you know, I, you know, what do I, you know, I'd had a couple of pretty good years and, and uh, my buddy, Dan Issel was down in Kentucky and they had a, a new head coach down there. And he said, Kenny, why don't you come? He was an assistant at Notre Dame. He says, come down to Kentucky. I can get you in down here. And then my uncle said, well, if you're thinking about going, he talked to him at Northern Illinois where he went to school and I could get, you know, a scholarship there. And I'm thinking, I'm paying for my own school at Augustana. You know, I'm coming out ahead on a scholarship. And we had an old scout from the Green Bay Packers came by and I was talking to him about it. And he said, stay where you're at. If you're good enough, we'll find you there. So I, I stayed at Augustana for two more years. Unbelievable. So when, you, how did you find out you're going to the Bengals with radio? They call you, what was that like? Well, you know, I was sitting around in, in my apartment with a, with a bunch of, you know, my college buddies and, you know, I didn't have any money, but you know, the local college bar, you know, I, I knew the owner and he gave me a quarter barrel of beer on credit. And we went back and we're, we're kind of drinking beer. And, you know, I, I got a call from a buddy in Chicago. He said, I heard on the radio, you were the number one draft choice of the San Francisco 49ers. I said, no, that, that can't be right. Well, he heard it wrong. It was Tim Anderson, a defensive back from Ohio State. And so uh, about four o'clock in the afternoon, I got a call from Bill Walsh that said the, the Bengals had drafted me and the next morning, I was on a plane going to Cincinnati. What was meeting Bill Walsh like? Because he, this is like before he kind of like was, was, was he, I, I, I talked, who did I talk to? 
I talked to Dwight Hicks, who played for him for a couple of years in San Francisco. And he said he, he's very like, I'm trying to think of the word to describe it. Um, systematic, maybe kind of like technical, like not the most sociable guy. Was he kind of like that when you kind of got there? No, Bill and I developed a, a great friendship. Um, it was a, a great working relationship, but we had a, a nice off the field relationship. Oh, cool. You know, as well, I think, you know, with Dwight, it was more because Bill was the head coach yeah. where here he was a, a, an, an assistant coach, but no, he, uh, he actually, in, in those days, I said the draft was in January. So the Bengals coaches would go out on Saturdays and scout a college game. Uh, you know, so there were no meetings at night. And, uh, you know, when I got there and, you know, you'd have a Saturday practice and, and the head coach was there, Paul Brown was there and, and Bill would leave him a script for the walkthrough. And we had a defensive coach there. All the other coaches are out scouting. And so Bill, uh, they were, the Bengals were playing in Cleveland on a Sunday and he actually came to Waukesha, Wisconsin to watch me play against Carroll College. And then he came out to, and worked me out in the, the gym before the, the draft and uh, kind of talked the Bengals into taking me. So what was your experience like when you kind of getting to training camp? Did you kind of, was it easy for you or was it kind of like a challenge? Well, you know, it was, again, it was different. There was no off-season program in those days because, you know, you didn't make enough money. Everybody worked in the off-season. But, you know, but I was out of college and I told you, I got a $7,500 signing bonus. So I, I moved to Cincinnati and there weren't the rules that they have now. And so Bill and I, starting in February, actually met three days a week. And we would go over the film and he would teach me the offense and we would, would go out in the field and we, we would do some stuff. And, and uh, so since we had no off-season program, training camp started July 7th and we were in training camp for nine weeks. And so, you know, we went there and, and we didn't have the numbers that they have necessarily today in training camp. And we only had one other quarterback in camp. It was Virgil Carter who was the starter and it was me. And uh, so I got a lot of practice snaps and in the preseason games, I played half of every preseason game. We had six in those days. So, you know, I got a lot of playing time, uh, you know, as a rookie in, in training camp. Because you brought up that a lot of guys had second jobs. Did any of your teammates have like really odd jobs that they would talk about like during the season? Like you're never going to believe what I was doing a couple months ago. Oh, uh, well, Bob Trumpy, I think, was a bill collector out in California for, you know, for a while. Um, you know, I, I got a real estate license, uh, you know, after I guess my third year. So I was kind of in real estate, real estate for a few years. And Chip Myers wanted to get in ranching and he would go down uh, somewhere in Oklahoma. I think we had one of our owners that owned a ranch down there and would work on the ranch. Bob Johnson worked for an adhesive company, ended up buying the company. He may, he may have done better than anybody else. Did you, did you ever see the contracts being as big as they are now when you were playing? No, because there wasn't the money. You know, we didn't have the TV contracts weren't there. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that, that it's great that the players are making what they are now because the dollars justify it. When, when you sign TV contracts that are worth billions of dollars, the players deserve their share of it. So I, I, I am so happy for the players nowadays. That's what kind of what kind of numbers do you think you'd average if you were playing today and nobody could touch you? Um, uh, geez, I you know I don't know. I think Andy Dalton signed a hundred million dollar contract in Cincinnati. I think I could have done a little bit better than that. No, no, uh, uh, like st statistical numbers, like passing passing yards. Oh, you know what? You know the thing is, um, I think the game was different back then. Number one, you only played fourteen games when we when I started. And, and number two, offensive linemen were not allowed to extend their hands pass protecting. They had to keep their arms within the framework of the body. Well, how are you going to be an offensive tackle and pass protect 
So if you look back at the statistics in those days, you know, quarterbacks are only thrown it 18 times a game, 19, 20 times a game. So you don't have the gaudy statistics that they have nowadays. Um, I think I would have felt, felt, uh, you know, felt pretty good playing in today's systems. You know, I mean, I would have been, I was an option quarterback in college. I could have run the, the read options and the run pass options. So I was a mobile guy. You know, I think, uh, geez, it was my 10th year in the league. Our Super Bowl year, I was the second leading rusher on our team. So I, I could have handled it today's game. Um, when did you find sort of feel like you started to find a, uh, kind of find your groove like in the NFL and you kind of realize like, all right, like I'll be all right with this? Well, you know, uh, gosh, you know, I, I know my rookie year, I, I, I played, uh, you know, a few games. Virgil Carter separated his shoulder, you know, and, and I went in and, and played. And, uh, you know, I remember you know, since we only had two quarterbacks that uh, if I got hurt, the punter was the, the backup quarterback at that point in time. So I think it was my third or fourth start. We're out in Oakland and I got hit in the hip early in the game by Ben Davidson. And I had never been in so much pain in my life. And I, I'm laying there and we had a veteran tackle named Ernie Wright. And he picked me up by the back of the pants and he said, Ricky, get your ass back in the huddle. You're all we got. And so I, I finished the game and, 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 I, and I gave us the lead at the two minute warning, rolling to the left and turned back and threw inside and tore everything in my hip. And I, they dragged me off the field and George Blander brings them back to win. The next week I can't practice. I mean, I can't sit, I can't stand, I can't land. Nothing was comfortable. And, and uh, the doctor says, don't worry, we'll shoot you up before the game. And, you know, went down to Houston, tried to warm up and, and couldn't. And uh, he said, come on, let's go up and, drop your drawers and they, they started, you know, sticking needles in me, but nothing really worked. And it was the, the worst statistical game I ever had. The, the longest pass I completed was a 50 yard interception return by Kenny Houston for a touchdown. And we, and we got beat. And I, I was very glad that Virgil Carter came back the next week, but you know, I, I won the starting job in, in 72 and then our team w was getting better, but you know, all of a sudden, you know, in, in 73, we get Isaac Curtis and we had some great weapons and, and we win the division. And so I, I kind of started feeling comfortable about my third year. What was it like matching up with the Steelers teams? Well, you, you know, it's, you know, they, they may be one of the greatest teams of, of all time. When you look at the number of Hall of Famers that they had both offensively and defensively in, in those 70s teams. And I think one of the things I'm most proud about that, is that if you look at our record uh, against the Steelers, you know, in the years that I was the starting quarterback, we had the best percentage of wins against the Steelers of any team in the National Football League by, by a substantial margin. And, uh, you know, but again, it was just kind of tough to get over the hump with them being your division uh, because they kept winning Super Bowls. And, you know, if they'd have been a mediocre team, we might have had a couple more chances. What do you what do you remember about like the first time you met Anthony Munoz? Oh God, was I excited! I mean, here was a big offensive tackle and and you know a guy that was that big and was that athletic and you knew he was going to be you know an unbelievable player you know right from the start and as good a player as he was I mean he's a, a better guy and you know I'd had a, a good offensive line and good weapons in the seventies and you know and I'd gone to a couple Pro Bowls and led the the league in passing and. You know, as the team goes down, all of a sudden, you know, in the late 70s, I wasn't, you know, good. And then, you know, we got Munoz, and then we had another guard, Max Montoya, and our number one draft choice, Blair Bush, was a center. Another high draft choice, Mike Wilson, was our right tackle. And we had, you know, Dave Lapham and Glenn Bujnock at guards. And, geez, when the offensive line got good in 80 and 81, then I started to get better again. 
So it uh, again, it goes back to what we talked about, Joe Burrows, the, you know, the quarterback. They have a chance. You know, you got to give them guys up front. That's unbelievable. What, what do you remember about meeting Chris Collinsworth? Well, he shows up in in, in this little rundown car. And, you know, he was from Titusville, Florida, and there's a six, six guy, kind of just a gangly guy, but boy, could he run and boy, could he run routes and boy, could he catch him. You know, if you remember that year, David Verser was our number one draft choice, a wide receiver out of Kansas. And, and Chris was our second wide, second draft choice for us. But, you know, the guy that ended up starting as a rookie was Chris and had a thousand, was, I think the first Bengal receiver ever to have a thousand yards his rookie year and went to the Pro Bowl. And I know I'm jumping years around it, but I saw that you won the man of the year before it was the Walter Payton man of the year. What, what did that kind of mean to you? Well, that, that, you know, to me, I'm, I'm probably most proud of, of that award than anything, because it's a combination of not only what you do on the field, but what you do off the field. And, you know, and I, I always believe that, you know, you need to be a part of the community and you need to use your platform to, 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 to make things better for people. And, you know, geez, that's one of the things uh, I think I'm most proud of the Andy Dalton years. And, and Andy and I got to be, you know, pretty good friends. But the difference that he and his wife, JJ, made in the Cincinnati community, you know, and, you know, Boomer did such a great job in his years there. And, you know, actually, you know, built a, a wing on the hospital, a children's hospital, and is still so active, you know, with the Boomer Science and Foundation, raising money for cystic fibrosis. And Andy kind of carried that over. And, and I think Joe Burrow is really doing you know, an unbelievable job of following in, in the quarterback's footsteps. And can, can you talk about the, the Ken Anderson Alliance a little bit, kind of how it got started and kind of some of the stuff you guys are doing? Yeah, you know, my wife, Chris, and I have a, a nephew that's severely autistic. And, and you know, the rules kind of change when you, you turn, you know, 22. You, you kind of age out of a lot of things. And so we wanted to, to figure out a way that we couldn't make his life better. You know, as I always say, you know, for those with developmental disabilities, we, we want to go ahead and let them live the life to their fullest, whatever that level may be. And so we started the, the Ken Anderson Foundation. And, you know, we actually wanted to build a, you know, a community for them to live. And, you know, it, it, it was a, a tough road to hoe and we, we got some great people behind us and we were raising money. And, and uh, the mayor of Cincinnati was very supportive. And I get a call from him one day and he said, Kenny, there's a, another group of Down syndrome's parents trying to do the same thing you're doing. And we met and uh, there was a great synergy and we had common goals. And so we, we merged together to form the Ken Anderson Alliance. And so we're working to create live, work and engage opportunities for adults with developmental disabilities. And, you know, before the pandemic hit, uh, you know, our engage opportunities are, are taking them out into the community in small groups, uh, you know, to movies, to play putt-putt, uh, to go to dinner, uh, to go to ball games. Um, a lot of them are virtual now because of the pandemic, but we, we had over 20 a month servicing about 230 adults a month. Oh, cool. um, you know, our work, uh, you know, we've got an aquaponics venture up and running that uh, is a source of, of employment for them. And uh, you know, we have people, uh, you know, training for other jobs. And we have purchased 23 acres in Springfield Township out on the north side of Cincinnati, where we're actually going to build a community. And oh, cool. if you go to KenAndersonAlliance.org, you'll get a chance. It's, it's all laid out. It's designed. We know where, where it's going to be. We know what it's going to look like. And we're just waiting for the right moment to start our capital campaign to, to go ahead and get it built. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll link everything in here. Can you talk about the thing behind you with Keystone, how they kind of got involved? Well, you know, they're, um, 
when the pandemic started last year, a lot of our fundraisers were canceled. And I, I said, what am I going to do? So I started doing these virtual happy hours. And I'd have guys like Dan Isalon, and I'd have some of the former Reds on. And we do it from my garage. And I, I could, you know, it's this happy hour like it is now. I mean, I can go ahead and have a beer. And uh, so we started calling it Keystones with Kenny. And, and so we did four or five shows. We kind of dropped it for a while. And we we're going to pick it back up in the fall. And I was in Cincinnati and I, I called uh, the local course distributorship because Keystone is a course project about getting them in as a sponsorship. And we called it Keystones with Kenny. And so we, we continued in the fall right up until Christmas time. And, you know, I had Archie Manning on and, and Dan Fouts and, and Jada Marcus from Rascal Flats, uh, you know, just had a, a great time, you know, Chris Collinsworth and, you know, Bob Trumpy and, and Bob Johnson, two of my, you know, original teammates. And so uh, we'll pick it back up here uh, again in a little bit. Uh, I always start off the show again, you know, it's Keystones with Kenny coming to you live from the Keystone Light Studios in my garage. And so that's, that's where we do it. The neighbors come over. So we, we have a lot of fun and we do, you know, a lot of different raffles and, uh, you know, dinner with Christy and I and a lot of different things, you know, I do uh, trivia questions. You can win Keystone Light t-shirts. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And, you can see a lot about our fundraisers, what we're doing by going to KenAndersonAlliance.org. That's awesome. Have they sent you that jersey behind you, like a, like a mock-up they can make of that or now? Well, no, they haven't done that. In fact, this was a, a, a guy I, I you know, was watching them and came up with this background for me and then sent it to me. So we kind of use this. I've, I've got a few others that we use uh, you know, awesome. as well. But you know, the real deal is I'm sitting in my garage uh, and uh, you know, drinking keystones and interviewing people and having the neighbors over to help me out. That's awesome. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I'll definitely link everything to that. And I want to ask you about so the '81 season. I saw it didn't start off too well for you. No, it. it you know, they had drafted my replacement. Uh, you know, a couple of years before Jack Thompson. You know, the throwing Samoan from Washington State, and you know, and 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 I didn't have a a, a great year. And '79 was probably the worst. Bengals team I was ever on. We, we weren't very good. And that was the year that they drafted Jack. A lot of people wanted him to come in. And, you know, and I started in 84, Greg's first year. And, you know, we were six and 10, and that wasn't good enough for a lot of people. And so, uh, you know, it, it, there was a lot of pressure on me. You know, I felt I had to be perfect and went out the opening game against Seattle. And uh, I threw three interceptions in the, in the first quarter, two of them for touchdowns and one to the one yard line. We're down 21 to nothing. And they, uh, they took me out deservedly so, and uh, but Jack Thompson was hurt, so they put in Turk Schonert, and he ran around and, and, and scrambled and made some plays. We won 27-21, and uh, so now it's whether I'm going to play the next week or not, and I uh, had a lot of meetings with, with Coach Greg, and finally he says, what do you want to do, and, and I said, I want to start, and so we're going to to New York to play the Jets. And I'm, I'm on the planet saying, what did I want to start for? They got the New York sack exchange on their defensive line. You know, Gleck, uh, Klecko and Gastineau and Marty Lyons and Abdul Salam. And I said, I might've taken another week off. I, I don't know. And, and so we're, we're, we're driving to the Shea Stadium for the game. And it was the same weekend as the US Open tennis tournament, which was their facility was right next to the Shea Stadium. And the offensive line always took a, a cab or a, a van over early. We get to the stadium and we have none of the starting offensive line are there. We go out to warm up. We don't have any of the starting offensive line there. Now I'm very nervous about this game. And uh, finally, we, we find out that the van driver took them to Yankee Stadium rather than Shea Stadium. And with the traffic, they were a little late getting there. But they finally showed up and, 
and we went 31 to 30 and uh, it was a great game and we kind of just everything took off from there so i have a couple of questions from some Bengals fans and one of them kind of stuck out to me if you could add any Bengal from the past 25 years onto that 81 super bowl team to kind of bolster you guys up who would you take wow i don't know we were pretty good back you know in, in those days um you know, AJ Green could probably help us out along with, you know, with Isaac Curtis and Collinsworth. We'd had three wideouts, although you didn't play three wideouts too often back, you know, in, in those days. So, you know, I don't know. That's a, that, that, that's a, a great question. We had a great kicker, Jimmy Breach, you know, who never missed a kick in overtime, which is an unbelievable feat for a kicker. So, uh, gosh, I don't know. No, I, I guess I'll go with AJ and pair him up with Isaac Green and Chris Collinsworth. Yeah. Well, as soon as we get time travel, we can make it happen. So okay. yeah, we'll figure that out. Um, and then one other question was, which of your Bengals teammates that you played with didn't get the credit they deserve? And who's and who, who do you think would kind of get that? Who do you think deserves that title? Well, I think there's two of them. I think number one is Kenny Riley was a, a defensive back, played 13 years with us. No, it was 15 years he played with us. He is fourth on the all-time list number of interceptions. He came, I think, in 69, two years before I was, was a quarterback at Florida A&M, made the transition to defensive back, and, you know, had those numbers when, like I said, we were only throwing the ball 18 to 20 times a game. He only played, four, you know, 14 games for a majority of his career, and to have everyone in front of him in the Hall of Fame and not him, I think, is, uh, is wrong. And I think the other guy is Isaac Curtis. Uh, was a tremendous wide receiver. Had he was a, a a football player with world class speed. They wanted him to try out for the Olympic relay team, you know, and, and he wouldn't let that interrupt his his football. It was it was, a, you know, everybody remembers the impact that Jerry Rice had when he came into the 49ers. Well, Isaac had that same impact when he came back in in, in 1973, and again, you know. It, you know, he'd lead the league in touchdown catches with 10. You know, now that that's not a, a, a big number in today's football, but, you know, Isaac uh, and his yards per catch, and, you know, though he was fast, he was a great route runner and always had another gear and, and you couldn't, you know, out, you know, couldn't overthrow him. So those are my two guys. That's awesome. And so, so, go, so going back to, so after so week two, you beat the Jets. Did you just kind of just kind of find your rhythm from there? Yeah, we were going along. I think we might have lost the next week against against Cleveland. And I think when we knew we were going to be pretty good as, uh, you know, they always say if you're going to go to the playoffs, you got to win in November. And we had five games in November, the way that the schedule turned out, all against playoff contending teams. And, and we beat them all handily. And so we got on that roll. And, you know, and, and I remember, you know, I talked to the guys about this and you know, all of a sudden the feeling that we had at Riverfront Stadium, banners starting to, to show up around the stadium and faces painted in orange and black and orange and black wigs. And, you know, all of a sudden the, the who day chance start started. And, you know, it was just a, a magical feeling that we had. And, you know, and then you, you get to the AFC championship game and it was 59 below zero and there wasn't an empty seat in the stands. That was that, that was against the Chargers? I'm not Correct. So how what how was what was it like playing like did you guys have the heated jackets or anything or were you just just playing off adrenaline? Well, no, it was it was cold. We had heated benches. They they brought those in. We'd never seen those before. Never heard of that. And one of my 
my my favorite story, now everybody's got heated benches, but you know, my my favorite story about that game, it's in the first quarter. And uh, and I'm sitting on the bench and they've got uh, I'm sitting on my hands and they've got slots for your feet to go in. And luckily I've got my helmet on and somebody had thrown a cape over me. And there's a big roar, and I stand up to see if there's a turnoff. I'm going back in. And as I stand up, my feet don't come out and I fall. And the first thing that hits is my face mask and I'm seeing stars and, and I'm calling for the trainer. I'm calling for smelling salts. You know, I said, I can't get knocked out of the championship game by falling off the bench. And of course, in today's world, some camera would have caught that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and if it did with today's game, I probably would have been in concussion protocol and might not have finished the game. Did you, did you think you were concussed after that? Um, no, but there was later on in the game, I got hit in the, in the, in the fourth quarter and I was, uh, uh, out for a while, but went back in and finished. That's unbelievable. Um, and then, so going into the Super Bowl, what did, what was, what was kind of like that whole situation? Like, I know you're going up against your former coach and Bill Walsh. So what, what how, was that kind of like bulletin board material for you guys? Like, all right, like we're going to take him down or what was it? How was it like for you guys? Well, they, they had beat us. Um, I think at the beginning of December, I, I, kind of hyperextended a toe early in the game and I didn't finish that game and, you know and Bill and I were, were very close in a close relationship and you know you always say hey boy if we're gonna go to a Super Bowl and gosh California Arizona New Orleans Florida this is gonna be well, we get Pontiac Michigan was the the first northern game and you know and I think you know one of the big things for us is you know, I, I said it was 59 below zero when we had our, our play the championship game. The weather was just as cold the next week and we didn't have an indoor facility and we stayed in Cincinnati and it was tough to get too much practicing done. And I think maybe that might've hurt us, uh, you know, a little bit, but you know, we, we would go up there and, and, and I remember we only, the only place we could practice was the, the silver dome. So uh, the 49ers lost the toss. They had to practice in the morning and we got to practice in the afternoon. So I would, I would pass Bill in the tunnel, you know, every day going, we're going to practices. They're leaving. So I, I saw the first half of the game really wasn't going in your favor, but you guys gave him a hell of a fight in the second half. Well, you know, you can't have, we had uh, four turnovers. I, I think in the first half, I threw an interception on the first series. We had the ball, um, you know, from the five yard line. And uh, you know, they say the team that scores first got the best chance to win. Well, we, we had a gimme field goal. Instead, they go down the field and score the first touchdown and, and then, we, you know, I hit Chris Collins where it's inside the 10 and, you know, unbelievable, he fumbles and uh, they get the ball. And, and then, so uh, they're up, uh, you know, at the, in the, the right before halftime and, and, you know, they, they squib kicked and we fumbled it. And they got a field goal and then they kicked off against squib kicked it. And we fumbled it and they got another field goal. So it's all of a sudden it's, it's 20 to nothing at halftime. And, you know, we, we came back and scored uh, three touchdowns in the second half to, to make it a game, but, you know, like I say, you can't have five turnovers in any game and expect to win. If you if you lose in a Super Bowl to Joe Montana, like people give you a pass. Like, like come on, yeah, it's it's it's. Oh it's hell, no, they don't. <laughs> I, I I as a as a Washington football fan who's seen two playoff games in fifteen years, I I, I like I put a little asterisk like you lose to Joe Montana, it's respectable. Oh, uh, you know, and and well, and they beat us twice that year, but you know. You know, we didn't give him our best shot, uh, you know, on that, on that Sunday. And, and Joe was a great quarterback, a, a great career. And, yeah. you know, the 49ers were a dynasty, you know, of that era of the 80s and 90s. And, you know, they deserve all the credit in the world. So, so I want to ask you about that. So, so a couple of years later, Boomer helped them get back. Didn't get the win. But since then, 
playoffs really haven't been has not the Bengals have not had too much success do you think Burrow is the guy that could lead them back there yeah you know and I, I think Andy Dalton you know was a guy too now here's a guy that came in as a second round pick you know and and took him to the playoffs the first five years you know and I and I think you know one of those playoff games uh you know in fact AJ McCarron was playing because he had a, a broken thumb and if, you know, running back doesn't fumble and they don't have a stupid penalty on defense, you know, they, they win that playoff game and, and go on. So, um, you know, but I, I think, like I said, I like the direction going and, and, and I, and Joe is going to be just an outstanding quarterback in this league. And, you know, he's just, whatever it is, he's got it. I have a question. Did it mean a lot to you that you were able to just play for one franchise for your entire career instead of bouncing around like a lot of guys? No, it, it did, you know, and, and, you know, when you come from Batavia, Illinois, which was a town of about 10,000, and then you go to a, a division three school in Rock Island, Illinois, you know, Cincinnati was a very comfortable spot for me to go to. And, and I, you know, and if you look at my draft class, you know, they talk about the year of the quarterback. Well, it started in 1971 when Jim Plunkett was the first pick. Archie Manning was the second pick of the draft. Uh, Dan Pastorini was the third pick of the draft. Lynn Dickey from Kansas State went in the third round. I won the third round. Joe Theismann, Scott Hunter from Alabama, started at Green Bay, was also, you know, in that draft. But, you know, they did an article in uh, Sports Illustrated a couple of years ago, the year that Trubisky and Mahomes and all those guys were, were coming out about the year, our year of the quarterback. And, and Jim Plunkett had made the, the statement of, of all the guys, Kenny was the lucky one that he got to go to a stable franchise with Paul Brown and Bill Walsh and, and they were right. And I saw, but before I let you go, I saw you, you did some coaching after your career. Yeah. You know, I, I, I always, you know, as I said earlier, I wanted to be a high school math teacher and football and basketball coach. I mean, I always wanted to coach and, you know, had some opportunities I thought, and, and, you know, everybody says, Kenny, you, you don't want to coach, you know, the hours they work, the sacrifices you got to make, you're stupid. If you want to coach, I didn't want to be stupid. So I went in and I was actually working for a local radio and television station for six years. And, you know, it just, you know, but I always had that itch. And so after six years, uh, you know, I kind of talked to Dave Shula after the season, he was the head coach of the Bengals and he had a quarterback opening and he, and he hired me. So I spent, you know, 10 years uh, with the Bengals and I spent four years uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And my last three, I spent in Pittsburgh with Mike Tomlin and, and I had a chance to get a Super Bowl ring. Uh, with uh, the Steelers. What was it like coaching Ben Roethlisberger? Oh, what a talent. You know, what a talent. And I said, when I, you know, I always told people when I was there that if I had to pick one player in the league to start a franchise with, it would be him. Um, he was big. He was accurate. He was mobile and uh, just one heck of a quarterback. I got I had one other comment from somebody. It's not really a question. I don't really know what they're thinking. They said, did, did, did you lead, did you save the mustache from 81 and put it next to your, your AFC championship ring? Uh, no, no. And, and you know, that, that mustache came back to, to haunt me, you know, uh, one day when I, I first got to Jacksonville and we're, we're sitting in a team meeting and that picture happened to show up and the players called it my porno stash. So and then, you know, all of a sudden, it, I'm kind of, oh, I think Ben knew it was going to be my last year coaching up in Pittsburgh. And we went into the, the beginning of December, and all of a sudden, there are these pictures of me posted all over the building, and he labeled it as Ken Anderson Grow Your Mustache Month. So I said, all right, you jerk, I'll grow my mustache back. So I grew it back for a month when I was up in Pittsburgh before I left.
You know, I, got, I got one last question for you. What's your what's your favorite story from your whole career? Just kind of like your favorite moment of your career, something that kind of sticks out to you. Oh gosh, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I I think it was, you know, going in that locker room after the AFC Championship game and you know, under brutal conditions and seeing the, the, just the elation on the players and then going up to Paul Brown and getting the same coach, we're going to the Super Bowl, And he was so happy for everyone. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that, that's really all the questions I really have for you. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat for a few minutes. It's been awesome. Can't wait for football to start back up. And I'll link everything to the Alliance on here so people can find it. I, I can't wait to keep up when you get some more happy hours going. I'll definitely join one of those Zoom calls, but this, is, this has been a blast. I really want to thank you again. Well, thank you for having me. I, mean, you know, I really appreciate it. And if you ever need me again, give me a call. You know how to get a hold of me. Absolutely. 